continuing our verse-by-verse study. We're in Exodus chapter 14 tonight, which is a continuation of this mass exodus we've been uh, studying for the past very, for the few months here. We've been in this section where God has finally delivered the children of Israel from the bondage and slavery there in Egypt. Now, remember last week I told you, I made, made a big point about this. This story is not just another exciting story, and this is one of the main stories in the Old Testament, as you know. You've, you've seen it. Hollywood has depicted it. It's, it's, there's some interesting things, facts that you're going to see tonight that you've never seen in a Hollywood production, but have always been in the Bible. You'll see them again, refresh, uh, they'll refresh your memory tonight. But remember Paul, and I, I, I showed you the scripture last week. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 that the whole Exodus experience happened for you and I. He made it very clear that this whole story and all of this recording and the account of the story, the story that, that God brought about was really for our, it was written down for our instruction. It teaches us all about God's redemption. If you want to know how God loves, how much God loves and how much God protects and how much God saves and how much God has reached into the world to redeem a people, we see it right here in this story. And I love the truth about God's leading these people. God is leading them. There is no doubt about it. They're miraculous things he's leading them with. But as they pass now through the Red Sea, this is, again, one of the most exciting events or accounts recorded in the Old Testament. Number one, it represents Israel's freedom from the 430 years, the Bible says. Another place it says 400 years. Uh, You could read about the time period, but they were in bondage for a long time. And now they've been redeemed or been brought out by the Lord through what we know as, and I've titled my message tonight, Passing Through the Red Sea. So this is, this is the birth of the nation in a sense, coming out of bondage, coming out of sin. And uh, again, you'll be reminded of this thing. We're going to move real quickly through this story. There's a lot of great application as well. Let's ask God's blessing and a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful that we have a place to come to worship you. I thank you for the worship team, Lord, and a time to just be refreshed, to come sit at your feet and give glory to you. We rejoice in you, God. And I I thank you for the Bible. I pray that you would teach us now as we are diligent to come, we're diligent to open them, open the word, we're diligent to study the word, and we pray that you would teach us tonight by your Holy Spirit, Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, Last week, as you recall, in chapter 13, it was the Israelites were moving out of Egypt, and that was the emphasis that I taught on last week, and we read about God's care for his people. He didn't send them straight from Egypt directly north. That would have taken them into uh, Philistia, and the Philistines were warriors, and God's people have been slaves. They don't have any weapons. They don't know how to fight. And so God, instead of sending them straight up into Canaan, he sends them east, and they're going to go the long way. He's taking them the long way, but that was really to preserve them. We also saw that God was keeping his promise when Moses stopped and picked up the bones of Joseph, remember that promise, and he took the bones, carrying them in front of the people, the bones of Joseph, so people could look up and see the bones of Joseph. That was a promise of God because God had promised 
this land to these people. And Joseph said, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want to go to the promised land. So these people would look up at the box, you know, that's being carried before them, Joseph's bones that represented God's promise. And then God leads personally in the manifestation of the column. Remember the column? There was, a, there was shade by day and there was fire by night. So God was showing his powerful presence, leading them now into the wilderness by this cloud. And this pillar, we're going to see this tonight in a remarkable, uh, I, I believe you'll find this to be remarkable as we read the text tonight. But let's just read these first uh, few verses beginning in verse 1 of chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihakiroth. Now turn, keep that in mind, they're turning. They were going one direction, but God's going to take them somewhere else. And it was in between Migdal and the sea, opposite of Baal Tefon. It's kind of interesting words there. But you shall, we don't even know where these are. I don't know why I'm even struggling. Nobody really knows exactly where this is. We know it's near the Red Sea in between some mountains, but we don't know exactly the location there. But he says, you're going to camp by the sea. Verse 3, for Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people, and they said, what did we do? What were we thinking? Why did we let him go? That's what he's saying there. They were serving us. They were our slaves. They built everything for us. Verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt. So armor, they have this armor with them, the captains over every one of the chariots. And the Lord, verse 8, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So, verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea, by these places there that we'd read about earlier. In verse 10, and Pharaoh drew near, and the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So the children of Israel are afraid, and they cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because... There were no graves in Egypt. Have you brought us out here to die in the desert? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Absolutely no faith in them, you'll note. And then verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may just be slaves in Egypt? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Very interesting things going on here. The children of Israel have started their journey. God's led them. He's, he's separated them from Egypt with the ten miracles. They finally were kicked out by the Egyptian people and by the Pharaoh. They're following Moses and Joseph's bones, and they're on the way to this promised land here. 
they're, they're looking forward to all that God has told them through the prophet Moses. They're trying to recall some of the things their forefathers told them about God and his promises. They're looking forward to everything, and now everything has fallen apart. See, they, they left with this great, grand, we're going to Canaan, we're going to the promised land, and all of a sudden, things fall apart. So they go in this emotional path that many of us follow, you know, one day everything's great and there's money in the bank and, and the job's secure and then the stock market crashes the next and you get hit by a car and things happen in your life and you go all the way to the bottom. That's kind of where they're at right now. In their eyes, the plan of God is unraveling, but that's not the case at all. God is sovereign. God is in control, and God is leading them, as we'll see as the story progresses. It's some beautiful things that we're going to read at the end of the story. But I, I'm just wondering tonight, have you ever been there? You ever been on the mountain of, in the high of, of your, 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 you're doing the best you've ever done spiritually, and then a moment later, something happens, and everything comes crashing down. It unravels right before your very eyes, unexplainable setbacks that make you wonder, what is going on, God? Now, if you haven't been there, then you haven't been a Christian very long. And if you've been a Christian very long, you've been there a lot. You've been there a lot. And that's, uh, we live in that place. But God is trying to teach us. He's trying to lead us and guide us. And he's going to teach us through these hardships and these kinds of things. But a lot of times we get so discouraged, we begin to question God. If you've been there, that's what this passage is about. This, this text is for you. God's going to speak to you tonight through this, this text here in Exodus 14. Because they've gone from the highs of the miraculous uh, release from the, the slavery of Egypt. And now they're in the depths of despair. That's where they find themselves. And, and Moses is recording it all. Again, the reason... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, for our instruction. All these stories are for our instruction. It's not just a great Hollywood tale. This is for us. So tonight we begin with my first point. We're going to go back, and I, I want you to see this, a change of course. A change of course. Again, I draw your attention to verse 1 where Moses writes, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp here. I have a place for you. I want you to go back and camp in this specific place. Turn and camp there. In other words, the Israelites are commanded to reverse their course. They were going in a direction that God didn't want them to go. God had a plan for them, and he wants to bring them to this place. So Moses has to tell them and reverse their course, but that would put them in an extremely vulnerable place. Maybe they knew it. Gee, if we go down between these two mountain peaks in this valley, we're going we're gonna to be, we could be entrapped in that place. Let's not go that way. Let's go this way, out in the plain where we, we could see the enemy coming. But God takes them back to this place where there's going to be mountains on each side, one direct route to Egypt, and then a sea right in front of them. God is going to bring them to, that's, what it's, that's what's described here. And as they go there, I mean, verse 2 really is describing a trap for them uh, right there at the, the border of Egypt in between the mountains. Again, as you look about this and you think about these people, they're trusting God, but they're using their own thought, and maybe Moses as well, and so he, I'm not going to take them there. 
Moses thinks, I'm going to take them here where they're going to be safer. But God says, nope, 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 go back here. This is where I want you to be. I mean, sometimes God leads us in a place where you say, Lord, you know I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But God is leading you, and and he'll finally get you there. And that's what he's doing with these people. Because in verse 3, God tells Moses exactly what he's up to. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God is telling Moses, he's revealing this to Moses, and, and this is my plan. It's all up to me. I'm going to do this for you. So God's doing two things here. Number one, he wants Pharaoh to think that Israel is trapped. He wants Pharaoh. He's, this is a plan to get Pharaoh to come. It's not for his people as much. He's, God is going to work to judge Pharaoh. Remember, at the beginning of the story, Who's the Lord, Pharaoh said. I don't know your Lord. I don't bow to him. I could care less about him, remember? Who is your Lord? Remember that? And all through the story, each one of the plagues, God is showing him who the Lord is with all his power over and over and over again. And here in this story, he's going to answer that question again. Pharaoh, you really want to know who the Lord is? You really want to know who Yahweh is and how much power he has? God is going to show him that. The second thing, God's plan here, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart and lure him in for that final judgment, for his destruction. The amazing thing, when you think about this story, it goes all the way back to the verse I was referring to, Exodus 5, verse 2. Who is the Lord? I don't know who you are. And God is displaying his power again. So all this stuff is going on in the background. The two million Israelites have no clue. They don't know that God is working in Pharaoh's life. All they know is that they were going in this direction, and now Moses had told them that God says we need to go in that direction and go between those mountains and camp by the sea. That's, that's really all they know. Let me give you an illustration. As I was reading this story, I came across this illustration. Things don't always go the way we expect, Right? Things in life don't always go the way we expect. One cold, freezing night in Minnesota. I don't know if you've lived in Minnesota or not. Very cold there. There's a family. They're driving their dirty car. When you drive in the mountains or around snow, your car gets really dirty. I mean, you're going across road salt. You're going across the dirt on the snow. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. The snow gets all over your car. It just, it, it just makes your car filthy dirty slush all over the side of the car. This family is driving, and they come across one evening. As they turn the corner and go down a street, there's a gusher. There's a broken pipe, and there's in the middle of the street, there's this gusher going up into the air. And there's a work crew that just arrived setting up, and the father thinks, "This, this guy is just like me. Honey, check this out. And he takes his car, dirty, just crusty, and got you know, icy mess all over it, and he drives right underneath this fountain of water. He's thinking it'll wash his car, and the kids are giggling in the back seat, and they're all laughing and thinking this is really fun, and the crew on the outside are looking, what, what's wrong with these knuck, knuckleheads, you know? Well, as this water is flowing over the car, the family starts smelling something. That doesn't smell like fresh water. 
they discover that they're underneath a broken sewer main. <laughs> the water is splashing all over their car. And finally, they understand the problem. So dad drives off, probably had frozen toilet paper and all kinds of other stuff on his car. Things don't always turn out the way you expect is the point here. And in Exodus 14, again, God is working out his plan of redemption, but it's not going the way the people thought. God, wouldn't it be better for us to be over here strategically? And God says, no, I want you right there. That doesn't seem like, that's, that's more of a trap. That's where I want you to be. Because God was doing something, they didn't understand it. Moses got the inside scoop from God. I'm doing this to lure Pharaoh in. I've got some unfinished business to do with Pharaoh. I'm going to judge. So number one, my first point, a change of course. Number two, a change of heart. Change of heart, verse five. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? So this is kind of like, meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, back in Pharaoh's court, they're having this meeting, this discussion is going on. And Pharaoh and his generals are saying, you know, oh, why did we do that? Why did we let our, our cheap labor leave? We had all this cheap labor, foreign workers, you know, here in building up all our cities and tombs and all the stuff they were building there in Egypt. We must have been out of our minds to let them go. So they have a change of heart. They're going to go after the, the people. So they mobilize this army. Pharaoh and the generals, they mobilize their army. Verse 6, he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. Verse 7, and he took 600 choice chariots. Now, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking about Pharaoh. When is he going to learn to stop messing with God's people? He, he's, he's messing around with God's people, and he hasn't learned. And God has shown him some amazing things throughout this story. We've seen these plagues. And these plagues, I believe, happen within just a short period of time. And there's, there's no reference there, but I'm thinking within a year, you know, months, to say that, you know, those ten plagues came rapid fire, one after the other. And now, in this case... You know, he's, he's back on track. He wants those people back. We, we lost our cheap labor. We, what, what were we thinking? We need to get them, get them back into our land. But Pharaoh, his heart is going to be hardened again because God is judging him. He's going to bring him back into that land. God had allowed, again, Pharaoh to do what he already wanted to do. When God hardens the heart, that isn't God usurping the will. You need to understand that, that Pharaoh's will was against God. Pharaoh's will was against the people. All, Pharaoh, all God did was confirm what Pharaoh had already chosen. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, when God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up to the, the things that they were doing. They just do them worse and worse and worse. That's God's judgment on people that defy him. That's why for us Christians, we need to be moral in our judgments. We need to be moral in our lives because you don't want God to give you up. You want God to fight your battle. You want to stand on his side. You want to be obedient to his word because over and over, God proved that he was judging Pharaoh by giving him up or confirming what Pharaoh had already chosen. It's an act of judgment. 
But again, the bigger picture in this story is that God is orchestrating, God is sovereign, God is working behind the scenes in all of these events. So when Pharaoh chases Israel, we're to understand that Pharaoh is now in God's trap. He's going to fall right into God's trap. God knows exactly what he's doing here. In verse 9, the Egyptians catch up with the Israelites. And they're within sight of the camp. Notice in verse 9, the Egyptians pursue the Israelites, all the horses, chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and the army, and they overtake them, camping by the sea. So now they're in eyesight of the children of Israel here. And then in, uh, again, this is exactly the place that God has brought the people of Israel to. Remember, they were going one direction, and God says, no, he changed the direction, brought them to the certain place. And now... The Egyptian army sees them. Maybe, maybe the Egyptian army even had the high ground, and they're looking down into the valley, and that's where the two million Israelites are camped, right next to the sea. I mean, everything's a setup for them. They're all proud about what they're about to do. They're going to they're gonna move in there, but, but it's God. God has brought them to that place. He's hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is now right in this place, and God is going to reveal his glory. So we have a change of course, change of heart. Now we have a change of attitude. Look at verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Now they see the Israelites, two million of them are down there. They don't have weapons. They don't have anything but, but the spoils. Remember, they had gold and silver and clothes that the Egyptians gave to them. Remember, that was their payment for all the years of slavery. But they don't have weapons. They don't have any way to defend themselves. And now they see the Egyptians marching after them, and they're very afraid. There, verse 10. The children of Israel begin to cry out to the Lord, help us, Lord, what are we doing here? Can you imagine? Two million people. Then they said to Moses, they turned their anger toward Moses because there were no graves in Egypt. You brought us here to die? It's quite an indictment there. Why have you dealt with us this way? Again, they know they're in trouble because there's nowhere to go. They have mountains on each side. The Egyptian army's coming down the valley, and the sea is right before them. There's, there's really no place for them to go. As I was studying today, I, I, driving down the hill, I love to listen to Jay Vernon McGee in the morning. I was listening to the study, and uh, Jay says this, they're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. I love that thought. But they, again, they have no weapons. They, they're terrified. They cry out, verse 10. And then they turn their, their, their attitudes toward Moses. All their, their, their mad, their regret. They turn it on Moses here. And again, when you think about what they say, you know, were there not enough graves in Egypt, verse 11. It's a very interesting statement because even today, you know, raiders of the lost ark, if you're, if you're going to look for any kind of old object, you're going to go to Egypt. Why? Because it's so wonderfully preserved. It's dry in the desert. It's hot in the desert. And, and frankly, the uh, um, Muslims destroyed everything in Iraq, you know, in the old lands. So down in Egypt, there's some of the greatest finds and archives. And in the tombs, you know, tomb raiders, in the tombs, there's the mummies of people. The, the Egyptians, they worship the afterlife. And they did the big um, tombs and pyramids and sarcophaguses and all of those things. They, they almost worshipped death. 
And it was, it was known as the country of death because of all of the burying places all over. So the statement really makes sense. Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Egypt was known. I mean, you, when you went to Egypt, what is all this stuff? Are monuments? No, it's the graves of everybody. The pharaohs, they were buried in these, these large, huge uh, grave areas. So here they are. They're, they're fearful. They're freaking out. And so they go to Moses and they say, did you bring us up here just to bury us in the, in the wilderness, in the desert? Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone? Didn't we tell you a long time ago to leave us alone and we'll just be, remain slaves? So they, they have a lot of regret here as they're threatened at this point in time. And what you see here is a people that one day, they're just happy, they're ecstatic, they've left their slavery behind. And now their world's unraveled. In just a moment, in, a, in, a, in just a day, they've come unraveled here. And they're not reasonable at all because they're people that are operating on what they see and feel rather than people that are operating on faith. There's no faith here because they're fearful in everything they're doing. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. There are times when I'm fearful, it's, I'm not exercising faith. There's times when I'm unsure. I'm, I, I believe you're in the same place. You're not walking by faith, but you're, you're living in fear and unbelief when that takes over. That's what we're seeing with these people. And so let me just take a moment to just briefly apply this section here tonight. Because I believe that we're all marching through this world, and just like Billy Graham today, where are we headed? Where are we headed? To death. Well, they haven't, obviously, but to death in this world. In this world, there's a grave somewhere. There's a grave somewhere for every one of you. Thanks, Pastor Lee. But we're all marching through this world, and one day we're going to die. We're, we're going to end up in the grave. Why? Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned, sin brought forth what? Death. We are all marching through this life. We're living our lives to die, the grave. The, and, and all of that is a reminder to man's sin and man's greatest failure, which is sin. We've chosen to go our own way. We all inherited the sin of Adam. It's in Genesis 4, you might remember, the death of Adam's secondborn, murdered by his firstborn. After Adam and Eve commit their sin and are kicked out of the garden, the first thing that happens in their family is death. And then in Genesis 5, when you read Genesis 5, it's just a long list. Then he died, then he died, then he died, then he died, then he died. It's just a death chapter. Why? Because sin. Sin always brings forth death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. This whole world is just one big burial ground, if you really think about it. We live a short life. The Bible tells us it's a brief life. The sun comes up. The grass grows, and when the sun goes down, the grass withers. Our life, the Bible says, James says, is a vapor. It's real quick. It's brief. 
the, the life of man. And then we live a life of uncertainty. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows what's going to happen next month? None of us know. We live a life of uncertainty. These Israelites, they're living a life of uncertainty. They're not walking by faith. Their lives are just as brief. And here's the point. They will never get out unless God steps in. They are doomed, just like we are doomed, unless God stepped in. You and I would not have the lives that we have now unless God redeemed us. That's what this story is revealing, the great plan of redemption, God reaching into the world and saving man. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Redemption is a work of God. It wasn't Moses and his great plan, was it? It wasn't Aaron and his staff. It was God doing all the miracles. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah said that. Salvation is of the Lord. David said that. Here's a great verse in Psalm 68. Our God is the God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong escapes from death. And to God the Lord belongs escape. Listen, God saves. God loves man. Although man has fallen into this place of sin and death, and we're in an uncertain world day by day, but God has given us his promise, and God has reached in to redeem, and God has reached out and given us salvation. I love the fact that God is so loving, and and he's reached out to you and to me, just like these children of Israel. He's got everything under control. He's going to save them, as, as we all know. The message of the New Testament, same message. Salvation is of the Lord. First Thess 5, Paul says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's speaking primarily of the church, but that's the message of the New Testament, that God saves. That's the truth. God saves. Salvation is of the Lord. And this story, again, the great story, what are we supposed to learn? What's the example? That God redeems. That God's a God of love and he redeems. God has brought these people, the Israelites. He's brought them to a place where they are hopeless. There's nothing they can do. They're trapped at this point in time. And he's going to show them his power. Just like he showed them in Egypt, he's going to now show them this power. They can't escape. They have a sea in front, mountains around, the army behind. But God, God has brought them there. And God is going to show them his power. That's the story. God's redeeming his people. I don't know where you find yourself tonight, but God leads us to a place and we freak out and we we need to be faithful. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart, Proverbs 3, 5. We're not supposed to go by our feelings. We're supposed to walk by faith. Can't see it. Don't understand what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know my God loves me. I know the promises he's given to me. And again, he's, he's redeeming his people. So, so far in this story, let me recap, a change of course, change of heart, change of attitude, and number four, a change of perspective. Look at verse 13 again. Uh, Moses, big announcement here that Israel is about to learn something. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I was talking to one of the staff members about that today. What a message. I I hope that encourages your heart, just reading that. Stand still. It's your fault, Moses. 
I can't believe it. They're going to come and kill us. Ah, They're freaking out. That's what's going on. And what does Moses say? Stand still. Oh, but my finances, Pastor Lee, I, I'm not sure about the future. I, what about a husband for myself and, or a wife? I, I, I've got all these things, all these plans I want to do, and I'm freaking out, and nothing's going to my plan. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. I love that verse. That's just such a fantastic truth there. And there's three things that Moses says in in verse 13. Number one, don't be afraid. When it comes to uh, your life as a Christian, you've committed yourself to Christ. You're walking in the Lord. You might not know the whole Bible. You're still to walk by faith, and God will lead you into places that bring fear. God will lead you into places that are, you know, you're unsure but he's always with you. He's never left you. And so this first word, do not be afraid. I've heard it said, fear God and you have nothing else to fear. Think about that. We need to fear God. Moses believes that God is going to work another miracle. That is what he's conveying to the people. Don't be afraid. And secondly, Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still. Stand right where you are and just get ready. God has something here. Don't fight. Don't run. Don't leave. Just stand. I have people that will call the pastors here in the church and, uh, you know, oh, this is happening. What do I do? Am I I supposed to go over here? Am I I supposed to go over there? Am I supposed to make this decision? Just stand still. Let's pray. You need to wait on the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And thirdly, Moses says here in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. In other words, Moses is telling them, say nothing and do nothing. Stand still. Listen, Christian, that's some great advice, wouldn't you agree? I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where your faith is. I don't know where you're out in your growth in Christ or understanding of the word, but you just need to stand still. You need to stand still, say nothing, and do nothing because God's going to handle it. God has shown his power over and over to these people. He's going to protect his people. Again, this is a perfect picture of the grace of God, isn't it? I love this truth and, and what it's conveying here. God in his grace reaches out to a people that are they're lost. They're living in sin, Egypt. They're stuck there. They've been there for hundreds of years. There's no hope in, unless God redeems, but God sends a redeemer, Moses. And God powerfully redeems through the, the miracles that he does, the ten miracles. And he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again here. And that's the miracle of this story here. In his grace, he redeems his people. In his grace, he keeps his people. His role is is done. He's doing the work. Our role is to stand still. Our role is to walk by faith. Our role is to trust in the Lord. Again, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The lesson that the Israelites learned is the same lesson for you and I. Remember, Paul said, this story is written for our example so that we would be encouraged and get instruction from it. 
just as secure as the Israelites are in this story. I mean, you read the story and you know the ending. God's going to provide a way through the the Red Sea. God's going to protect the people. The same truth applies to you and I. You're God's child. He's going to keep you safe and secure. He has a plan greater than your own. He'll not let his children be overpowered. God has a plan. We just need to stand still. But I need to do this, and I need to do that, and I have to worry a lot. Worry. i got to worry. No, you be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, and the God of peace will do what? He'll guide you. He'll lead your heart. He'll take away those, that anxiety. We just need to stand still. God's plan is all about deliverance for the Israelites, and it's the same for you and I. He's delivered us from ourselves, our own sin. God's plan is for our protection, just like it was for the children of Israel. Again, if you're going through a hardship tonight, you just need to stand still and see the salvation of your God. So, Now, from verse 15 to 31, here's the the passing through the Red Sea. I'm going to kind of go quickly through this, but it begins with God's instruction and intervention, verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, I read that, and I looked at that, and there's a lot said about that, but here's what I believe is happening. Moses is praying. The people are revolting against him, right? They threatened him. So what's Moses do? He's going to go talk to God. He has this one-on-one thing with God. He, he talks to God, unlike like a lot of people. I mean, I have a, a relationship in prayer with God. Moses stood before a bush and talked to God, kind of a different thing. And so he goes back to God, and he's praying. And he's pray, 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 praying. And God is like, Moses, Moses, come on, let's go. That's kind of what I'm seeing here. You might have a different view on that. Why do you cry to me? Tell you, let's go. Let's let's move out here. Um, Verse 16, but lift up your rods, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, his chariots, his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh and his chariots. He's going to gain honor. And how, how is he going to gain honor? Because they're going to look at God and they're going to look at the water and go, ah, oops, you know. Finally, finally, they're going to They're going to receive their judgment and understand. And the angel of the Lord, verse 19, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. So they have a protector. And here's an interesting fact here. The pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. So this pillar that's been leading them, God's manifestation, his presence, is now protecting. There's an angel, and there's that pillar that's between the people and the Egyptian army. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and Israel. Thus, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, that would be the Egyptians, and it gave light by night to the Israelites, to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all night. 
So the pillar, it's hiding the children, the two million Israelites by darkness. On the one side of the pillar, it's pitch dark. Egyptians can't see a thing. On the other side, it's like a nightlight, like a torch, just bing. This is the direction you're going to go. And they're going to watch what happens with the, the Red Sea. They're going to see it all because it's, it's at nighttime. This whole crossing happens at night. And notice here in verse 21, we have deliverance through the sea. So God's going to deliver them through this water here. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Second time we've seen that. And the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. Now, there's been all kinds of speculation, liberal theology. I, I'm, I believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible. So when I read that, I believe there was wind that blew. The sea was parted, and not just a little bit. Two million, two million people are going to walk through this sea. So I don't know how wide, but it's, this is a real... And then there's a wall of water. You, you can put any picture that you want in there. You, you're walking through. It's nighttime. You've got a nightlight behind you. And you can see everything as an, uh, children of, the children of Israel as they're walking through on dry land. There's not a, they're, they're not smushing on sandy, wet soil. It's dry. This is God. He, this is a miracle of God. And then as they walk by, there's a wall of water. So maybe there's a whale. Maybe there are fish, schools of fish. They, there's a wall. It's like a glass wall. They're looking right into the, the water there. So it's a beautiful uh, picture there. But again, there are those that try to say that this was not a miraculous event, that, that there was wind that just kind of blew down, and, and instead of the Red Sea, they call it the Reed Sea. It was just a sea of reeds, like a marsh, you know, and the water came down and kind of blew the water aside, and, and then they were able to walk across the marsh. Uh, th this marsh, but if that was the case, how do you account for all the drowning of the, how would they, they drown in ankle-deep water? I mean, come on. We're talking a full-on sea, sea here, and they're going across on dry land. Some people say the wind blew the sea aside, but again, you have this wall of water. So there is wind that's blowing, but there's this wall of water on the right side and on the left side, some say it was an earthquake, you know, it shifted things away, you know, like sloshing water in a bowl, and the water all went over to one side, and they went through, and it just so happened, and at the right time, it sloshed back over. But again, that doesn't account for the dryness of the ground. This is a miracle of God. They walked through not on swamp land or soggy sand. It was completely dry. It's an awesome miracle if, if, if you believe, as I do, in the literal interpretation of the Bible, this is another one of God's wonderful miracles. And even more proof here in verse 23. Notice verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now, I, again, I believe that the Egyptians are in the dark. They don't know where they are. They don't know they're in the Red Sea. 
unlike the movie. You watch the movie and the, the chariots go in really slow. Remember, they go into the... That's not the case. They're in the dark. Remember the pillar. The pillar is dividing. The, the night light is for the Israelites. They can see, but the, the Egyptians are like, they can't see anything. And all they know is they're still on desert land. They don't know they're in the ocean. They don't know they're in the middle of the, the sea there. The ground was dry, and it's nighttime, and the pillar is, is uh, clouding their vision. It's dark, and they don't know where they're going. They're in hot pursuit. It wouldn't have been hard. Think about this. How would they follow them? Where would they go? How did they know where to go, the Egyptians? They got two million people in front of them. They're dropping stuff. They're kicking up dust. They're leaving footprints. It wouldn't have been hard to follow two million people again. And they are focused on their pursuit, but it's dark. So they're, you know, they're like, they're going this way. And they would run. And there's some more tracks, and they keep going. But they don't know they're in the middle of the sea. And then the sun comes up. <laughs> That's when they know the power of God. The, the sun comes up. Can you imagine the horror of these Egyptians? They're in the dark, following, 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 and all of a sudden the sun comes up and it's like, there's a wall of water all around them. And the Egyptians are safely on the other side. And they can't go back. They're too far. I mean, uh-oh. I mean, that's really, I think, someone said they really did get in over their heads this time. Verse 24, now it came to pass in the morning watch. It's morning now. It was all night long they were out there. That the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. Remember, that was the manifestation of God. So he looks into this fire and cloud, this pillar, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. First, he took off their chariot wheels. So they, some, for some reason, their wheels start falling off their chariots. So they can't move quickly now. So they drove them with difficulty, and the Egyptians said, let's flee from the face of Israel. Why? For the Lord fights for them and against us. They realize what's going on. Supernatural things are happening, and it's too late. It's way too late for them. Then the Lord, verse 26, said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians. I, I, just, I always wonder about Moses. What do you think? You think he's thought... I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. for. I want to see him, you know. I, I don't know, you know. I'm just thinking about Moses here. He has this, he, he was praying, remember, when the plague started. He prayed and the plague started. He, he stopped praying and the plague went away. All the plagues follow the same, same thing. So God has allowed him to, to be in charge here. And he says, okay, when you spread your, lift up the staff and put your hand out, that's when the sea is going to collapse on the Egyptians here. And so Moses stretched out his hand, verse 27, over the sea. And when morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned to cover the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. All of them were wiped out, completely annihilated, the whole army. But, verse 29, the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians 
And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus, Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. The same ones that said, we should go back to Egypt. Are you going to leave us out here to die, Moses? They're like, okay, Moses, we're going to listen to you. Again, this whole account of the Israelites going through the Red Sea, it reminds me of the facts that things are not always as they seem. I don't know what you're going through, but things are not always what they seem. You might see Pharaoh's army. You might see yourself trapped. You might, it, and it might be a, a financial trap. It might be a physical illness or trap. Stand still to see the salvation of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Christian, you need to listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Put your faith in him. Don't be fearful. God's plan is always greater. The people were fearful. They weren't filled with faith. They're filled with faith now, and next week in chapter 15, they sing this glorious song, the Lord has thrown the horse and rider into the sea. We'll get that next week. A beautiful story, a wonderful song. But tonight, I hope that this story, as Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, has been an example and will give you instruction to get through whatever it is in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. What a glorious story. And Lord, the fact that you redeem your people, the truth about this story and how it really pictures our redemption as well. How we thank you, Lord. How we praise you. You're so good to us, Lord. But there are times when we are fearful. There are times where we're shaken. And I pray, Lord, tonight for any here that are struggling in that area. It doesn't, could be so many different things even tonight, Lord, but I just ask that they would hear your Holy Spirit bringing encouragement. They would hear the word of the Lord even tonight. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh God, do what what only you can do to sovereignly lead us, some of us into a fire, some of us into a flood, some of us into a difficult time period of months or maybe even a year or years of difficulty. And yet, Lord, as your people will trust you, we will remain faithful and will stand to see the salvation of our Lord. As God, work in the hearts of your people tonight. By your word and by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.